Hello and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence and Holy Family in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Daniel Rhoda and with me is Father Eli Giski. How are you doing today, Father? Oh, pretty good. Good? Yeah. Good. Thanks for joining me once again. Yeah. We're the usual suspects, aren't we? We are. We are. We are. <laughs> you probably want a guest speaker sometime, but alas. Yeah. Alas. <laughs> Not in days like this. Not, not today. No. <laughs> um, uh, before, I guess, things get started, I, I actually I wrote this down before. I, I meant to tell you about it. But um, the di- the Diocese of Buffalo is getting a bishop. Really? Yeah. I guess wow. they got appointed. And so, so it's the, the, one, the, one means, closer. That means the Holy See is working again. So that's a good sign. So yeah. maybe, maybe we're on the... Who know we might be on on deck, or maybe we're down the line away yeah, in the batting so, order. Yeah, I'm not sure how long they've been without a bishop. Yeah, but I have no idea. We um, are kind of a funny case though, because we sort of had one and then we didn't. So I don't know how they. What did they just mm-hmm. restart the system, or is it like a pick up where you left off? I don't know. So kind of unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was something that I I saw an article yesterday of the diocese of Buffalo. So. Uh-huh. So hopefully that's good news for us. Yeah. Um, but um, we have a couple a couple things going on this week. Two things. We got RCIA tonight and next week as well. If you wanted to go to, on Tuesday nights, Holy Family, 6.30. And um, tonight we're covering history. Next week we're covering the, covering the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, that should be fun. Um, it's RCIA, which means it's the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, meaning those who are not Catholic wanting to join the church, but we've also opened it up to Catholics who just want to learn more about their faith, and then obviously there's some Catholics who maybe didn't get confirmed or things like that, or completing their sacraments, or something like that. So, yeah, there's a, a variety of people there, but it's been good. We've been getting like 25, 30 people um, fairly consistently. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, so that's fun. Of course, we have our uh, faith formation on Wednesday. Yep. We have the older disciples this week, so... Um, the older disciples start at 7, go 7 at 8.30. I think we're having some yep. adoration as part of that. And confession. Sounds like we're going to have some confessions available. Oh, cool. Um, what else? Oh, I'm going to be gone this coming weekend for a wedding. If you read the bulletin column this weekend, you would have heard that or discussed that maybe with your friends. How not it crazy? Father Eli's going to be gone. Amazing. Anyway, so I'm going to be gone this coming weekend. Father Bill's going to sub and Deacon John's going to preach because it's the third weekend of the month. I don't know if you picked up on that, but the deacons preach third week in the month usually. Um, what else is new? Uh, oh, the movie. There's going to be a movie on uh, January 31st at 4 p.m. in the, I think, well, at St. Lawrence, I'm not sure if it's going to be in the social hall. Probably in the social hall, we're thinking yeah. and thinking. Um, so, uh, but it's going to be uh, the movie Pray. Right. The story of Father Patrick Payton, yeah. which I'm family, not familiar with. Family it. that stays or prays together stays together. Maybe for that saying that comes from him. Oh, okay. So okay. I think he was a big proponent of the Rosary, and um, trying to get people to pray together as families. So, okay, which definitely needed in our day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that uh, that is what's going on this week. Wraps up our current events section. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, the Bible today, the scriptures. Um, but before we do that, Father, would you open us in a prayer? Sure. 
and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask you to bless our time, bless our discussion, and we ask you also to help us to delve into your word, the scriptures, that we could encounter you in the scriptures, both in the Mass and in our private study, in our own reading of scripture, that you would speak to us, that we would be open and receptive to how you speak to us in the scriptures. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, the Bible. It's the Bible. Yes. The Bibles, you know, it's pretty cool, right? It's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the Bible is, uh, I mean, I guess it's it's a very uh, common thing in our, like, Christian world. And, I mean, I think even just in our, like, I mean, everybody knows what the Bible is. Yeah. You know, I don't know if everyone understands what the Bible is, but everybody at least knows what it is or has a concept of it. Yeah. And um, even if it's, I'm thinking of like how I think of like the Quran. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like, I know about it. I don't know much about it, but I know of it. I'm, yeah. It's, I'm sure it's. Or the Book of uh, Mormon. The, the, the Book, Book of, of Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of like that. We, we have all heard of it, are aware of it. But. We don't have, and I don't know if this is as common as it used to be, but you used to have the, the Bible in your hotel, like that'd be the one thing in the next to the phone, although they yeah. probably don't have phones anymore either. But um, but yeah, I don't know if that's kind of, as as people become less Christian and less religious, maybe that's kind of gone by the wayside. But when I was growing up, that was a thing. Like, here's yeah. the Bible. It not might not be a Catholic Bible, but it's a Bible. So Yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe I, I think that's something that we should get into is like Catholic Bible verse non-Catholic Bible and what that means. All, but all others are terrible and <laughs> heretical. No. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but I don't know, maybe uh, can you tell us a little bit about just the kind of history of the Bible, like how it was compiled yeah. and stuff like that? Because cause there's, there's two parts to the Bible. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I don't know if you can just do a yeah, little, do a little uh, history lesson. Yeah. So the Bible... Uh, there are 73 books in the Catholic Bible, I believe, if I'm remembering. I believe And there's that's 66 correct. in the Protestant Bible, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But basically, the Old Testament is most of the books. I think 27 books in the New Testament, if I'm remembering. So that leaves, depending on which one you ascribe to, less books, you know. But the Old Testament is the fatter portion of the Bible. It's a large portion. And that's the part... The, the, Jewish scriptures would be the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament is the story of Israel, the story of people of God coming coming out of, um, you know, people that God called to be his people. You have um, Adam and Eve, the story of them, and you have the story of Noah. And then Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And so when you get to about chapter 12 or so, maybe it's chapter 11, uh, you have Abraham coming on the scene. And from that part on, it's more of a, more of a um, narrative, I would say, than a theolo- theology. The first few books of the Bible, or first, first few chapters of Genesis, are, are more of a theology than they are necessarily blow-by-blow blow exactly what happened. But So there's different ways of reading the, the um, creation story and all that, but we don't need to get into all that. But basically, the, the first five books of the Bible um, kind of tell the story of you know creation the people of God coming and then eventually uh, being in Egypt and then going out of Egypt. So the 
Exodus and so forth, and then coming to the, the Holy Land. And then you have the sort of historical books, which would be like Judges and First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, which kind of tell of the kingdom of Israel and the time of David and Saul. Maybe you've heard of King Saul and the other kings. So as you kind of go through, it kind of just walks its way through history and up to the time of Jesus. So um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the, in in there, and we don't we're not going to get into all of it. But the the Old Testament is basically a story of from the time when God called people to the time of Jesus. New Testament is the first four books of the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which call it, kind of tell the story of Jesus's life, what he did, what he talked about. It's not a biography by any means, but it's kind of a summary of his teachings. And they would have been written to help people follow Jesus and come to know Jesus. And then you have the letters and so forth. And there's also Acts of the Apostles, which is sort of a history of the early church. And then you have something called Revelation, which is a different kind of writing. And then also the letter of Hebrews is more of a um, kind of, you might call it the first encyclical, which is basically a letter to the whole church. So you have different things. And as I've sort of even noted, there's different books in the Bible. Some are historical books that kind of are a narrative book, and some are more of a theology, or a, sometimes they're um, prophetic, or sometimes they're apocalyptic, or poetry. So there's different sort of kinds of books in the Bible. So the Bible is a group of books. Some people even say it's a library. So the word Bible actually comes from the word, I think, if I remember it, the Greek or the word for library or group or set of books or something like that. So um, but it's a long process, right? So the writing of the Old Testament would have taken place over, you know, a couple, you know, at least a thousand years or so. And then the New Testament was more kind of succinct. It was written really in the first hundred years after Jesus died. So um, so there's there's a history there of all that. So we, together we with the Jews, we would share the Old Testament. And then the New Testament we would share with other Christians, but then there's a few things that are different. Like in the Protestants, they got rid of seven of the books from the Old Testament. I could try to remember them all: be Sirach and Wisdom and um, First and Second Maccabees, Tobit, oh, Judith, I think. So there's a few. Uh, there's seven of them, um, and they got rid of those because when the Jews decided to close their canon which they did in 90 AD, so um, 20 years after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the temple because the Jews had risen up against the Roman uh, Empire. They were kind of trying to be independent, and they went against the Romans, and so the Romans came, sacked the city, destroyed the temple, and at that point, the Jewish faith became not based on the temple, but now based on the synagogue, and because of that, they sort of looked at things differently. They said, let's close our canon. And the canon is the, the list of books that are approved, that are, uh, we believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the, the Jews got rid of anything from the canon that was not written in the Holy Land, in um, the place where they're living there, Judea. They got rid of anything that was not written in Hebrew, or that they didn't have copies of in Hebrew, and they got rid of so they had sort of a criteria of like if it's not in the if it doesn't meet these things we're getting rid of it. So that was seven books that went out, and 
it's interesting though that there's a very important um, edition of the Bible, if you want to call it, the Old Testament called the Septuagint. Septuagint just means seventy. There's a a tale, and some people ascribe to it, some others don't. That there were seventy scribes in in Egypt in Alexandria, which is the capital. They got together and all translated the Bible, the Old Testament, and they came up with this thing. That's not so important. The idea is there was the Septuagint was a very common translation. It was the Greek translation of the, the Hebrew Scriptures. Why was it Greek? Well, because the the Jews had been dispersed, the diaspora, after the first exile. They were kind of spread around, and so they were... Um, and also, if you remember, maybe you don't remember, Alexander the Great came and kind of conquered most of Egypt and Mesopotamia, which would be the part just north of Israel, and all those places were under Greek rule. And so Greek became the spoken language of the day, the trade language, the language that everybody spoke in common. Kind of like English is today in our world. Hasn't always been that way. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, because of that, there was a, a Greek influence, and so people read the scriptures in Greek. And during Jesus' time, they would have still been using the Septuagint. So once Christianity came on the scene, after Jesus had died, and the Christians were starting to sort of separate themselves from the Jews, not so much because the Jews... Uh, well, basically, the Jews kind of kicked the Christians out. They didn't, they didn't call them Jews anymore because... The Christians were saying, we believe in Jesus, and the Jews were saying, we don't. So there was that difference. And so to separate themselves from the Christians, they rejected also the Septuagint and said, we're no longer going to kind of ascribe to that or use that. So that's why there's that difference. Now, why is this important? Because in the 1500s, when Martin Luther and Calvin and company broke away from the Catholic Church, they went and used the Jewish canon, Jewish list of books, which did not include those seven books. So that's how we got a different Bible. It's kind of a little, there's more to that tale, but that's the basic gist of it. Sure. Is that making sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's kind of a, a lot, but... So the Bible came into being. Um, a lot of it was oral tradition, meaning it was spoken, and then eventually it was written down uh, at a certain point. So like the, the first book in the New Testament to be written wasn't written really probably till about 49 AD, so we're, we're talking at least, you know, a decade and a half after Jesus had died, and um, it was one of Paul's letters, I think it's the Second Thessalonians or something like that, that might be the oldest one. The others were all written after that, um, we think, to the best of our knowledge. The Gospels were written later, like in the 60s and 70s, and those were written when the apostles were dying. Suddenly everybody's like, hey, maybe we should write stuff down because these yeah. guys are the eyewitnesses, and we are believing in Jesus, but we want to have the testimony of those who actually knew Jesus. So that's why they they wrote down the Gospels. So you have the Gospel of Matthew, which is written by Apostle Matthew. You have the Gospel of Luke, which he was a disciple of Paul, so it's kind of like his Gospel. Um, you have the Gospel of Mark. Mark was a friend of Paul, a disciple of Paul, but also of Peter, and at the time it was written, he was following Peter, and so that's kind of Peter's account of uh, his gospel. And then you have John, which was written by the Apostle John. So two apostolic writers and two disciples of apostles were the gospel writers. And then you have um, the other books. So um, most of them written to communities, trying to they're trying to direct and say, hey, you guys need to work on this, or this is happening. So 
the New Testament letters aren't so much of a theology, it's more of a um, dealing with issues, whereas the Gospels themselves, particularly the Gospel of John, because that's the last one that's written, um, are more kind of well thought out. It's more of a trying to, uh, trying to present Jesus to uh, a Gentile or someone who, who maybe doesn't know much about Jesus. Sure. I don't know if there's more, we could talk more about the, the general gist of it, but the scriptures, all of it, in the end, it's to help us to know God. It's a revelation of God, and we believe that it's inspired, so, meaning um, it's not just the human author, but it's also there was the divine author. So there's there's a, a sense and a t- true understanding that we understand that God is the one who is communicating himself through the human author. So, Yeah, and I, I think that that's something that maybe I would ask you is like, because I think, and I've heard before, like, oh, well, they could have just wrote like whatever they wanted right. and put it in the put it in the Bible. And it's like, okay, well, it's not as easy as that. <laughs> and kind of like re- what you were saying with having the oral tr- tradition mm-hmm. of, especially a lot of the Old Testament's like stories, those have, you know, people have been telling them for thousands of years. Eons. And, Whatever an eon is. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those things, like if I had it described, like usually like if there's multiple people there and one person's telling a story and they're like, no, that didn't, like it wasn't like that. It was like this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people will like crack each other and like they'll get the actual, you know. Right, right. And we have to understand that we are not used to oral tradition, right? We're When we talk about oral tradition, we probably think of the game of telephone where it's like, oh, that's so funny. We started saying this and by the end it was that. And, and we think that's what oral tradition is. Like, no. Like, oral tradition used to be a thing by, it was like how you remembered things. Like, they didn't have books. They didn't have notebook paper. It was very expensive to write. You had to basically kill a sheep and tan its hide, and not everybody had the the money to to have all that. So you could go to the synagogue if you were Jewish and read the scrolls, right, if you were part of the synagogue. Um, But they probably were pretty careful. Like, you can't just go in there and rummage around. Like, they kind of said, well... You can read this as long as I'm standing here next to you kind of thing. Um, so just having access to the scriptures wasn't a thing for everybody. And so oral tradition was much more accessible, and that's how the Jewish people taught. And and many ancient cult- cultures taught in that way. So you pass it on through oral tradition, not through the written word, which is kind of a foreign concept to us because we're so much about contracts and making sure everything's in writing and all these things, and it's a legal document, and da 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 da. But that's really a modern idea. So, yeah. Um. And then, was was it Saint Jerome that compiled it, or was he the guy that, like, who compiled kind of everything, or was he the guy that translated everything? Yeah, it's a good point. So how do we get the Bible itself? Because yeah. we have all the individual books, right? So the Old Testament would have been pretty much compiled by the time Jesus yeah. came around. So that would have, they wouldn't have had it all in one book like we have. They would have had a number of scrolls, right? So the scroll was the way that they had books back then. Um, so that was pretty much compiled. But um, the New Testament, again, went through the phases of the apostolic age would have been when things were written. Then after the apostles had died and the church was kind of now living, on, um, but also on living under persecution, and so they weren't able to gather and kind of discuss things. So it took a while for the New Testament to kind of come together and say, here's the scriptures. And um, St. Athanasius um, and others w- would have been kind of 
saying, these are the books that we're reading. These are the ones that we're reading. So you, you have different um, documents that will kind of point to, like, here's the, the inspired texts. You know, all through the second, third century, there's li these lists that different church fathers or different people in the church kind of put together. Um, but it wasn't really till you know, the fourth century that things were kind of solidified. These are the canonical books. And why are these the canonical books? Well, a number of reasons. One, it's written by an apostle or a close uh, disciple of an apostle. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these would have been apostles or close disciples of apostles, so those are accepted. Uh, the letters of St. Paul, the letters of Peter, the letter of Jude, um, the letter to the Hebrews, you know, that's there's some question of who wrote it, but it's one of the close collaborators anyway. Um, you know, the letters of John, the Revelation, which is a letter or a writing of John. So all of these things, um, all these people who wrote were apostolic writers. So that's that's one thing. Second thing is, do we have uh, evidence that these are being read and kind of circulated throughout the church by the 4th century? If you're reading it over there and we're reading over here and we're all kind of saying, like, this is helpful, this is good, it seems the Holy Spirit is speaking through this, yeah, that, that makes sense. Whereas if you have a letter from so-and-so so and it's like, we think it's really important over here, but nobody else has even heard of it, like, okay, that's probably not going to make it into the canon. That's not going to be part of Scripture. Um, also, does it does the writing itself line up with what the Church has always taught? So it sounds a little funny to us, but they would have been comparing what do we believe, what has been taught to us by the apostles and by the the, the, the uh, you know, those who came after the apostles, are, are they all saying the same thing, and does that line up with this reading? If it doesn't line up with this reading, then this reading, we don't accept it. So if it, you know, you have like things like the Gospel of Judas or things like this that come out and people are like, well, how come they didn't include this gospel? Well, because it doesn't, doesn't cor uh, correspond to what the church has always believed and taught. So these kinds of things were the criteria by which we decide what is inspired and what goes in the canon. And by the 4th century, that was pretty much solidified. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, too, that like there was other Gospels and other writings. writings right. um, Tons of them. That aren't in our, like, our Bible, in our canon. Mm -hmm. And so, like, there's that, too, that, like, not every, it's not like everything made the cut. Right. Yeah. Or, um, so that, like, there was discussion and mm -hmm. argument probably. And it wasn't even like when Paul and Peter were writing these letters, it wasn't like they were thinking this is going to be in the canon or this is going to be, I mean, they didn't even have the concept of like there's going to be a New Testament. By the time they died, there wasn't really a thing, you know? Yeah, they were there were people who had saved their letters and they probably were aware of that to some degree, but it, it wasn't like they had written them with the specific idea of like these are going to be famous someday, these are going to be in the Bible someday. Like, their their mindset was like Christ is coming soon. We're going out and we're preaching. We're we're trying to win souls for Christ. And they weren't so concerned with like preserving everything other than the teaching of Jesus, the oral tradition. So that's why when the apostles started to die, and people started to die off, that first generation of Christians, it was kind of like, oh, Jesus must have meant that this is going to be a little bit longer. We should write these things down, and we need to hold on to these things. So that first twenty years. Versus even 40 years down the road, there was a different mindset of what Christianity is and what the long-term prognosis of how it's going to be lived out and everything 
is going to look like. So the church had to adapt to the circumstances, and so that that definitely played into how the Bible was formed. Yeah, I think all that's just really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, um, and there's tons of stuff, lots of ink has been spilled over the centuries talking about it, so yeah, it's definitely something that, um, you know, we could spend hours talking about, but we're not going to do that to you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think I think it's in, like, kind of understanding that, understanding, like, all that context, and, I mean, that that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of just history, a lot of knowledge, um, and it's not just, like, a normal book, and I think uh, it's, like, it's helpful to understand it as, like, no, it's a library of books, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not meant to be, like, read from page one to... I don't know, right. page like four thousand and right. whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's 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 more of a. Well, we also believe that it's a living document, meaning that God speaks to us through it still. Like it's an inspired document, meaning when I read it, the Holy Spirit speaks. I mean, that's kind of a maybe a little foreign concept to most of us because we're so used to reading. We read a lot of books. We read all kinds of things, and we kind of when we read, we kind of look look at it as like I'm I'm taking this information that I want, or I'm selecting, or I'm deciding what I'm going to read. It's not that this text is speaking to me. But when we read the scriptures as Christians, we believe that God is speaking to us. Like, it, it's a live document. It's the Word of God in a very specific way. When we talk about the Word, we we can talk about how God, Jesus is the Word of God, so he speaks to us through his scriptures. Um, and that's kind of a little hard for us to believe sometimes, understand. Like, when I go to read scripture, I'm encountering God. I'm encountering Christ, and he speaks to me. Uh, you mentioned St. Jerome. He is the one who translated the scriptures from Greek into Latin. So he was an important figure um, in the 4th century who did that. And one of his famous sayings is, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. So, yeah, very important. Yeah. Uh, what's a, like, what what would you, or how would you tell somebody who's, I mean, I guess familiar with the Bible or n- not familiar with the Bible, like where should people start with yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing because a lot of times people have this idea, I'm going to read the Bible, and they start in Genesis, which is the first book in the Old Testament. And Genesis isn't too bad. This is a creation story. Okay, interesting. Noah, oh, I've heard of the ark. Then you get to Abraham, and it's like, okay, and Exodus. and Yeah, things are going pretty good. And then you get to you know, like Leviticus. Leviticus or Numbers, and pretty soon it's like, what the heck? All these laws, and it's, and then this group said this, and then that group said this, and it's just like repetitive lists and genealogies, and it can be a little bit overwhelming. You kind of like, how is this scripture? Like, how is it God speaks to me through this? So I wouldn't suggest that. I wouldn't suggest that. If you're wanting to read the whole sort of narrative of the Bible, there are programs out there, and I think there's one famous right now Father Mike is doing, um, which yeah, the, it sounds like it's a remake of Jeff Cavins's Bible Timeline, yeah. which is basically reading the narrative of the Bible, their idea is to read it in a year, which well, you can do that, it's doable. Um, but basically following the history of, like, what's the story of the Bible? You know, there's other books that are not part of that, that are more like additions or they kind of help you fill out the context or whatever but if you're just picking up the bible and you're reading it sometimes if you don't know the context it can be really confusing what is this about why who are all these people so i wouldn't suggest even to start there 
if your purpose is, like, I want to encounter God. If your purpose is, I want to get to nar- the narrative of the Bible, I want to understand what the history of Christianity was, you know, where Christianity came from, the Jewish people, I want to understand them. Great, do that. If you're wanting to encounter Christ and, and really reading the scriptures to pray, I would start with the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament. Maybe start with Matthew or John, um, specifically, or Luke. Mark is good, too, but it's a little bit, it jumps around a little bit. So Matthew and um, Luke and, I would say, John are a little bit easier to read in terms of, like, how they flow. But, um, but yeah, any, any of the Gospels are good. Mark is the, is the shortest, so that one's only 16 chapters. You could probably read it in a couple hours if you wanted to. So, you know, depending on what you're looking for, but I would say the Gospels, you're never going to go wrong reading the Gospels because you're reading about Jesus and he speaks to us specifically through the Gospels. So, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's good. That's that's I've heard that before also. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, just like the Gospels are a good place to start and Yes, the entire like Bible is the Word of God, but the Gospels is a privileged source, mm-hmm. like a very like this is the words that came out of Jesus' mouth, mm-hmm. you know. And so, which I guess I don't know if that holds a different sort of weight to it, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and sometimes people want the scriptures to speak to them, like I want them to speak to me, so. I remember one of my formators once said, well, pick one of the Gospels, and anytime Jesus asks a question, picture him asking it to you. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting way to, I mean, I don't do that all the time, but once in a while it's helpful to look at it that way. Like when Jesus is speaking, he often throws out questions to those who are listening, and you might take that as a question to yourself and picture Jesus sitting right in front of you and asking you these questions. And so sometimes that's helpful for people to kind of, put themselves in that position versus like this is an old text that's 2,000 years old and here I am trying to get something out of it. So, Yeah. And, uh, is there anything that you would recommend for like if people want to understand more of like the context of mm-hmm. what's going on? Or, I mean, our our church has a lot of, you know, very smart people who have gone before us who have studied the scriptures. Yeah. And so yeah. um, any like resources like that, that if somebody really wanted to dive into. Sure. Well, yeah, there's all kinds of things. Um, So the commentaries are sort of a general resource. A commentary on scripture is basically trying to help whoever's reading it understand the context of whatever Bible book it's talking about, whether it's the Gospels or it's one of the Old Testament prophetic books or something like that. Oftentimes, some books are pretty intuitive, like, okay, this is a history other times, though, the prophetic books in particular, you might be like, when is this written? Who is it written by? What, who are they talking to? So a commentary can kind of give you all of that, where it kind of lays out the history and the context. And that can be very helpful for you to, to try to understand what they're saying. Um, because one of the things that the Catholic Church always ascribes to is we read the scriptures with keeping in mind what is the intention of the author. We don't go to the scriptures wanting to in, infuse our own idea of what they're saying, which people do a lot of times these days. But we go to the scriptures trying to understand what was the context of the author, what is God writing to us, what is he speaking to us. And so to understand the, the purpose of the author and what they're trying to write to us, very often you need the context because the cultural context, the 
um, the language even that they use, all the things, these things are going to help you understand something. So for instance, this is just a simple example. Um, some of the letters of Paul, I think of Paul writing in the Ephesians, I forget if it's chapter 5, where he talks about, uh, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands and all this part about how women are, you know, kind of under the man's authority and all this. Like, yes, that, that was a thing of the time. I mean, that's why he uses that language, like he's writing in the context of the, of the time. Do we ascribe to the Roman idea of households, where the woman, the, the, the wife is the property of the man? No, we don't. But he was writing in that context, so he used the language of the context that he was writing in to try to communicate. Now, he introduced a new thing, right? So when it says, wives be submissive to your husbands, it also says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he introduces something new, but he begins with the language that the people of the time would have understood. So Paul's letters have several parts like that where they kind of focus on these things about uh, women that sometimes people look at these days and say, oh, this is terrible. Why is this in our scriptures? Why, why do we ascribe to this? Or why do we accept this? And if we knew the context, we would say, wow, he's innovating. He's bringing something new here. He's trying to bring an equality between the husband and the wife that the Romans and even the Jews to some degree didn't have. So um, knowing the context there is very helpful, you know, versus just looking at it with our modern ears and saying, ah, this, this strikes me as really like not very good, you know, so. Yeah, and I, I think you could use that that same kind of idea for a lot of the Gospels, because there's right. some stuff that Jesus does where you're just like, okay, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Right. Or like, right. why is everyone so mad at him yeah, <laughs> or right, something? Right. It's like when you look back and understand the context and the culture of the times, and you're like, oh, he was really, he was he was doing something that nobody else does. Like, he was right. being very radical in this right. Right. act. So. so it's very important to know the context, of course. And So commentary is a place to do that. Um, these days, because of YouTube and all those you know, podcasts and all that, you can find all kinds of other resources that are like audio or video commentaries sort of on Scripture. So that's kind of what um, Bible study, you know, the, it, it, there's lots of Bible studies that are out there now that you can get together as a group, watch the thing, and then discuss, you know. Mm-hmm. And so those would be another way that people have commentated on Scripture. But all of that is to help us understand, again, the context what is God saying? Now, it can be overdone. There's something called the historical critical method, which is basically dissecting the scriptures and kind of t- taking them down to a point where we get so into the context or the the language or dissecting, trying to determine certain things, that we lose the fact that God is speaking to us through the scriptures. And so um, there, we've gotten to the point, and I don't think it's so much these days, but you know, like maybe 100 years ago or 50 years ago, there were a lot of Bible commentators, people who were commentating on Scripture or writing about Scripture, who were not really believers or didn't have the same belief that we have as Catholics. And so St. Thomas Aquinas, who is a commentator himself, would have, you know, had a calf or whatever you say. We would He would have been really upset with that. Like, he would have said, you can't be a commentator if you don't have faith, if you don't believe. Like, that's what that's what reading the scriptures is. That's what commentating on scripture is. It's a theology, right? It's a way of entering into this dialogue with God, and so to to get so into the language and look at it more of as a historical document, apart from the fact that God is speaking to us, is to lose your way. It's to kind of what's the saying: the forest of the trees, the trees of the forest. I forget. 
What's that? How is that called? Uh, I don't know. I anyway, you lose something if you get into that so deep that you forget that these words are written to communicate God to us and not just a historical document to be picked apart and sort of try to determine who wrote this and when and all that. So, yeah. Okay, last thing is uh, how do we like enter into prayer with the scriptures? Um, and kind of specifically, we kind of talked about uh, Lexio Divina. Like mm. how do you use this, this um, method called Lexio Divina to actually pray with the scriptures and enter into that? Because um, like it, I think you said too, it is one thing, like if you just want to read mm. the scriptures to understand what's going on, like that's good. That's one thing, but yeah. and God can still speak to you through that. Right. But how do we like intentionally go like, oh, I want to, like if I'm going to adoration or something like that, or even if I'm at mass, how do I, uh, like allow my allow God to actually speak to me yeah. through yeah. this? It's good, very good uh, thing to ponder and to to understand. You know, there's different w- ways we read the scriptures. One of the things that the church has done with the lectionary, which is the readings that we read daily or at the the weekends, is to break the scriptures into little sections, little digestible sections. And the whole idea is that we do that to pray with it. To Basically, I'm using the scripture to encounter God. I'm using the scripture to allow God to speak to me. And so part of that is coming with an open heart and even coming with a recognition that God is speaking. If I go to a meeting with somebody, usually my intention is to talk to them and to listen to them and, and not just sit there in front of them and not have any interaction, just stare at each other. I mean, so even if you go to adoration, for instance, you might bring the Bible with you and you might read a little piece of scripture and, and sit with it and let it soak in. So uh, Lectio Divina is an old very old, ancient way of praying with the scriptures, um, and there's steps to it. So first step, I would say, even before you actually begin the formal steps, is to pick out a, a passage that you're going to read, um, not too long. So I would say if, if you're looking for something, just do the daily readings, maybe even just do the gospel of the day, um, and that's a good, usually a good bite-sized amount to study with or to pray with. Um, so you want to pick your little section that you're going to read, then you want to say a prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you into that. So this is all pre before you enter the actual steps of Lexio Divina. So you pick what you're going to read, and then you ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in this meditation and allow you to be open to hearing what um, what the Lord is going to say. So then, once you've done that, you're going to read. So you're going to read the little section that you have, you're going to Kind of read it through once. If you're by yourself and not by other people, you can read it out loud if it's helpful. Sometimes that's a way to kind of make it stick a little bit deeper or more. So you can read it, and then you begin to um, uh, to kind of... There's different ways of doing this, but you might... Some people are very visual, and so they want to put themselves in the scene and that kind of thing. Other people are just more like, here's the words, what do they mean? And so the meditation... Uh, the meditatio is to now I've read it I kind of understand it I understand what 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 they're saying and now how is this applied to me what what is God speaking to me so it's it's a kind of asking the Lord 
to speak to you through it? Or how does this apply to my life? How does this reach to me where I am? So, you know, the gospel for today at the Mass today was about Jesus casting out the demon from somebody in the synagogue. Like, okay, how does that apply to me? What, what does that, how does that speak to me? So we might meditate on that and invite the Lord to speak to it. And somebody might say, oh, maybe, maybe Jesus is inviting me to cast the demons out of my life. Maybe there's things in my life that have been problematic or things that have been a struggle for me or things that, or maybe sins that I've continued to return to. So it could be a more of a spiritual reading of it. Or maybe there's actually somebody in my life that I know is very troubled, and I, you can even ask the question, is this a psychological thing, or is there a spiritual warfare here that this person needs to be prayed for and, and released from something? So, you know, could basically the, the meditation, you, you follow wherever God leads you in that meditation, and it's a, it's a way of entering into it. Finally, then you, you pray about it. So I've meditated, now you pray about it. Is there, is there something um, that I'm meant to, you know, pray for? Is there an intention here? Is there something I'm meant to offer to the Lord? So it's a um, it's a response to the meditation. Whatever's come up in the meditation, now I pray about that. Um, and then contemplation is to sit back now and again receive from the Lord. I've, I've read it, I've meditated on it, I've prayed about it, and now is there something further that the Lord reveals to me? And so these are the four main steps. They can be repeated, Sometimes you don't get through all of them. The whole idea is to pray with Scripture and to allow God to speak to you. And you might spend the whole time on meditation. There might be meditations that are very dry you your whole time, your whatever time you have, if it's a half hour or 15 minutes or an hour or whatever. Um, or you might get the, all the way through and it's only been five minutes. And you might get to the fourth step and say, okay, I'm going to start back at the beginning. And you can do that. You can kind of go back again. Or maybe there's another little section that you want to read. So... That's kind of the gist of the Lexio Divina, is the kind of, it's a process by which we enter into prayer with the Lord. Yeah. And I think, uh, kind of what you were talking about with just like doing the, the gospel of the day, and like, I think that's a really great way to start mm-hmm. uh, trying to, you know, work on uh, like a, a, a prayer habit and like being able to practice the steps. Um uh, one thing that I would probably add on from my own experience is having like like a prayer journal or something to like write down just like a, maybe a couple notes yeah. or something like that. That's also like very helpful. Very helpful. Yeah, especially if you're looking back, you can say, oh, God did speak to me or he did answer my prayers. Yeah. I was praying about these things and I got a, now a month later, these things have been resolved or they've been answered or whatever. So yeah, that can be very helpful for people, especially if they're beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think sometimes the temptation, we we as modern people, we read to uh, to finish the book. So we often, when we read the scriptures, we kind of approach it the same way. Like, I want to finish the chapter, or I want to finish the, the book. And so we keep reading. Instead of something strikes us, and the whole idea of Lectio Divina, or praying with scriptures, anytime something strikes us, to kind of delve into that. What is, why is that sticking out to me? Why does this word stick out to me? Or why does this story grip me so much? And to stop and pray about it is what we're encouraged to do rather than just passing over, which we tend to do because, I mean, I've, I think I still struggle with that, but I know the first even 
10 years, for all the years that I've been praying with scripture, that's always been a challenge for me is to just stop and like ah, ponder something and let it kind of, it's like you, it's almost as if you were to imagine yourself like walking on the beach and you see whether it's a piece of glass that's been polished or an agate or a, a shell or something, you pick it up and look at it rather than just, oh, there's something and then we'll keep walking. Like, But to stop, pick it up, look at it and turn around and that's kind of what we do with the scriptures when we're praying with them. Is we, it's like whatever strikes our our heart, we allow it to um, to kind of lead us into a meditation. So, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's it's so easy to just get in that mindset too. It's like, all right, well, I got I got to fin- finish. Yeah, I got five minutes. Yep, <laughs> I just got to finish the chapter, and at the end, you're just like, what? I don't get any, I didn't get anything out of that. It's yeah. like, oh well, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I think that's that's great, and yeah, I think that that's a that's a good introduction to the Bible, or and and then just like um, just you know understanding more of this. You know, this is something that it's the scriptures are so intertwined into our Catholic life and just the church in general. I mean, that the Mass it's a huge part of the Mass. Mm-hmm. So much of it comes from scriptures, not just the readings. Right. And then, um, you know, uh, the liturgy of the hours, mm-hmm. that's, you know, so much of that, like that's all scripture, right. basically. Um, so, yeah, it is something that is so like intertwined into our faith that it is important for us to to understand and to know. And, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people too that are just like, well, God just doesn't speak to me. And it's right. like, well, he's actively speaking to you through the scriptures, right? Yeah, so, yeah. do you listen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's uh, it's definitely one of the great tools that God has provided for us to encounter Him is His Word, and so we are much poorer for it if we don't make use of that tool. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Father Eli, and thank you all for listening. Uh, we got an- another long one, right? Another long one, right? Sorry. Like. We're in the the, the mid forties wow. in time, so thank you everyone for for sticking with us. Hung in there, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, we hope to see you again next week.